Hello, Kerry here from The Bloke, and uh, welcome to Good Blokes. So Good Blokes is a podcast show, whatever you want to call it, that I've really wanted to do for quite a long time. And it's a result of being very lucky to, over the years, have some really good late night conversations with other blokes, other guys, where you finally just drop a lot of the armor and uh, a lot of the shit that we uh, put up and carry around in our day-to-day lives and just have a real good um, man-to-man chat. Um, and yeah, I I don't like the, the notion of saying it's a mental health podcast. I think more than that, it's just an opportunity to see two humans interacting and sharing stories. So welcome to Good Blokes. So for this show, we have David Benfill. David, I have known for a few years, and um, I originally met him through Rod and Rifle magazine. But what really interested me was his involvement with a charity organization, SSAANZ, which is a Soldier, Sailors and Airmen's Association of New Zealand. Uh, it's a veteran-run, uh, charity-funded uh, organization. And um, I sort of want to take the opportunity to talk to him about that. And from my point of view as a a civilian, also take the opportunity to ask a few questions of a military vet that I've always wondered, you know. So we talk about all sorts of stuff. His military service, um, his accident that nearly rendered him incapable of walking ever again, right at the peak of his um, military career, uh, how he got over that how he got over those dark days, uh, how he got into the hunting in the outdoors as a way of recuperating, and um, both physically and mentally. And then his realization that that would be of benefit to other veterans and other people that needed a bit of help and the formation of the organization. We also talk about family, uh, fatherhood, uh, gaming, and all manner of other things. It's a great show, and I think uh, hopefully everyone can get something out of it. If you want to get hold of David, uh, ssaanz.co.nz is the website for the charity. And if you want to get hold of me, just jump on to thebloke.co.nz and you'll find my email address or phone number on there. Always love hearing from you guys. Do um, say hello, hit us up with any questions you might have, whatever it may be. All right, enjoy. Most of my background is military, 14 years, uh, five years in 1st Battalion, um, Royal New Zealand Infantry Regiment here in New Zealand. And uh, then I got itchy feet and headed over some adventures overseas. Uh, and I ended up joining up the 3rd Battalion Parachute Regiment uh, over in the UK. A uh, little bit of adventure, you know, a whole lot of reasons why people want to, you know, do things like that. I wanted to challenge myself. And, um so I did ended up doing nine years with the British Paras. Uh, had an incredible time, and um, it unfortunately ended when I had a really bad skydiving accident. I was serving with the Red Devils Freefall team over there, uh, which do they do parachute displays, uh, air shows, that kind of thing. Uh, so I had a bad landing, ended up breaking my back, and that kind of started off the kind of next section of my life. So you know, the first section of my life was super fit, motivated, military, paratrooper, uh, had a great life, and I was fit and healthy. 
And then after the accident, that was a whole another ball game now because now you broke, I broke my back. Um, initially, I couldn't feel anything from my waist down from where I'd, I'd had a burst fracture. So one of my vertebrae had completely flown to bits. And uh, so that started this, this, you know, the, this later period of my life yep. where now I've got to deal with this injury. Initially, I didn't know if I was going to walk again. And, and, and the surgeons did an amazing job. But even they said, we're not sure if you'll walk again. You've got damage to your spine and they can't tell. It was right on what's called the quarter equina, uh, where the, the spinal cord turns into like the nerve, the nerve endings as it was. So if it's nerves that can heal, that can slowly heal. But if you've damaged your spine, then that's usually permanent yep. uh, in the most cases. So um, I went through the system over in the UK where uh, there was there was amazing medical service over there, uh, first-class treatment. And there was a whole load of charities that used to come into the rehabilitation hospital. I think I was there for maybe a year, year and a half trying to get better. And... Um, obviously ended up walking again and I still have problems with my legs and, and some weakness and some numbness, but, uh, you know, I'm very lucky overall, but that period in the hospital in the UK and rehabilitation, it really made me feel like service over there was appreciated. It made me feel like military service was appreciated because of the way I was treated. And uh, when you're serving, you don't really think about it because you're a young man, you know, you're, fit and you're motivated and, and you're ready to do whatever the country asks you to do and then uh, you don't think about what the public really thinks about you very much but then after that with the the waves of support and 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 all the effort that charities would go to to try and improve my lot and a lot of the other guys lots of uh, injured guys from afghan um and i'd come off the back of two tours to afghan um before i went into the team so I ended up coming, getting better. Getting, I, I was medically discharged from the from the parachute regiment, and I was uh, came home to New Zealand to sort of pick up the pieces. And uh, I guess what happened when I got back here, the relationship that I had, well, there was a, an English girl who I'd had a long term relationship. We came back here together to settle down, but that ended up not going so well. And um, you know, there's there's all sorts of reasons for that, but there's a bit of mental health in there as well, as you'd as you'd imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and you only realise that looking backwards. I only realise that sitting here thinking back then. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, okay, it's uh, can be quite difficult to live with someone when they're going through that. Mm -hmm. um, so then I started to isolate myself a bit. You know, I wasn't really talking to my friends very much. I didn't really want to go out. Probably wasn't leaving the house as much as I should. Uh, I was dealing with stuff from Afghan, and the thing, and a typical, typical bloke, typical Kiwi bloke. I didn't reach out for help for anybody. I just every day I just tried to do. Some days were good, some days were bad, and mm -hmm. I just tried to keep going. Just, just you know, one day after the next. And there was one thing that really got me through that time. Apart from my family, you know, I always can't thank my family enough. Really, they're always there for me. The thing that really helped me was hunting and fishing and, and, and sort of kayaking. And that was when I was having a bad day, I literally could just grab my pack. And people watching that aren't in New Zealand. We have this amazing country where you can grab a pack. And if you are a, a, a qualified licensed farm owner, you can take your farm and you can go into this amazing public land that we have and have uh, an experience that literally people do pay thousands for around mm. the world. 
tens of thousands of dollars and we get it free here yep. at any time of the year. So I found myself hitting the bush. I was hitting the hills. I wasn't really fit at that time. My legs are, are still a bit wonky, so I was never really strong. But if I gave myself three or four days to get somewhere, then I would get there. You know, it was, yeah, yeah. And I found hunting a little bit slower. I was seeing a lot of animals. Um, well, that, that, that's the irony, yeah. Forced to go slow <laughs> compared to the guys who were just bush bashing and scaring everything off. It probably did do you a few favours, force you to slow down. Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's not lost on me. <laughs> um. So, look, during that period, um, I fell back in love. I, I knew that the outdoors had this powerful effect on me, right? It just, it just, it was like a, I don't know, I didn't need uh, Prozac or anything like that to get me through. What I needed was to stay fit and I needed yeah. to get into the bush and I needed to get into the mountains. I needed to get into the hills because when I returned, I was just a different person and I felt amazing. I would have, all my energy was back and I was positive and focused. And uh, that got me through a lot of hard times. And, and that led me on to kind of think about uh, the way veterans here in New Zealand are treated, which is really different to, to over in the UK. And, and, and I, I'd, I'd worked in America a lot um, with the British forces and the Americans as well. They are incredibly appreciative of, of service of any kind uh, to their country. And, yeah, we're, we're, we're not as overt. The supporters here, don't get me wrong, but we're not quite as overt. Yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, both of us through various uh, firearms or military or different things. You know, I don't have the military background, but I've dealt and talked still regularly to a lot of military guys in the States and obviously firearms related content and stuff. And yeah, whatever your thoughts of the US, you do see a very strong level of patriotism and a very strong level of um, yeah support for the troops and for the veterans. And it's been up and down like anywhere in the world will have been, but it's it's yeah pretty consistent, you know. And you know, thank you for your service and and that all those lines and the veteran stuff. And you know, I'm aware obviously what I do, it, it's probably focused. It's sort of selecting for a particular group of people, but yeah, on the whole. Like, I think most Kiwis are proud of being a Kiwi and proud of being in New Zealand, but the US are the ones who have the flags flying everywhere and flags on their house. And it's a, just a, it's a different level of, for good and for worse. It's an interesting, yeah, an interesting part of it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly right. And, and they're, they're not afraid of, of showing their appreciation of service people and they throw a lot of, a lot of resources at it as well. You know, and, and they don't always get it right. You know, anytime you deal with mental health, veterans or otherwise, it's a very tricky thing to handle. It's a very tricky thing to deal with. And to get a positive result sometimes is, can be impossible in some circumstances. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about New Zealand. I was thinking about what, how can I share a bit of my journey with other veterans and their families? You know, how, can I, how can I share that? So. The idea came up for uh, Soldier Sailors Airmen's Association of New Zealand. And basically what we do as a charity is we organise outdoor events, like uh, we do a hunting skills course, we do fishing, diving. Um, we've done foraging courses, teaching people how to forage their own food from, um, from the local areas. And it's just that attempt to get the message out there because it's not just about veterans like the message is very simple uh stay fit find the things that you love doing and take time out of your day to do them or your month or whatever it is 
don't get bogged down in, in the things in life that take you away from that joy. Um, take time to be around the people who make you feel good and who are positive and supportive. And if whatever community that is, for me, for me it's veterans, but it doesn't matter. You can supplant the same thing on any community around New Zealand. Um, and so the charity's a way of how, how, do I, how do I get that message out there? And we've been going three years now, and it's just been going fantastic, Kerry. It's, uh, we've run maybe seven to 10 or 11 events every year, mm. and uh, we're getting the message out there slowly, and we're slowly gaining support. Uh, we are still a very small charity as of yet, but um, the two most popular events that we run one is the hunting skills course that we run over three days and the other is what we call the Southern Traverse. And so that's a five, six day tramp um, across the Southern Alps, East Coast to West Coast. Um, and that is, uh, there'll be a little bit of fly fishing and, and fly fishing tuition and a bit of hunting on the way over as well. And we've had some incredible experiences on those journeys. And yeah, those are the two stars in our crown. So. Mm. That's the story till now, and <laughs> the, the thing I left out it was, was a bit longer than thirty seconds. But that's right. Yeah, sorry, gonna... mate. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, I, forgot, I, I, I sort of was on a train of thought. Yeah. Makes my job easy, man. It's fine. It's on here. You've always introduced me as editor of Ride and Rifle because that's how you always would have known me. Yeah. Um, the 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 Ride and Rifle is a hunting magazine, as you know. Uh, and I wrote an article uh, for Ride and Rifle. I can't remember how long ago it was now. It must be, must be seven, eight, nine years ago. And um, after I'd written a couple of articles, the job of editor came up and I got offered the job. Um, yeah, whoever would have thought a, a dumb paratrooper can, can, <laughs> uh, can, write, can write properly. So, uh, yeah, and that's Probably, probably the same, same person who'd think a techno DJ would end up running a website about precision rifle shooting. So, you know, <laughs> stranger things have happened, though. You've broken the mould. Yeah, we, we break out of the mould, yep. Gary. That's, that's yep. what we do. Man. Never yep. do what people expect you to do. No, never it can do. get a bit dull. Exactly. So. exactly. All right, so... So we're going to talk, you've covered, you have done a nice job of kind of laying it all out and we're just going to go back because there's a few things I'd like to just kind of ex explore a bit. And so going right, right back and it's a little bit um, chronological, I guess, because another thing I saw recently that was pop up was a, I think it was on Facebook and it was an art of article or it was a link. And I believe it was about your father as it turned out, because uh, from my understanding, your father was a wee bit of a badass as well when it came to his military career. Is that right? Yeah, he absolutely was. Yeah, he did a very, very long time in the New Zealand Army. He was crucial in developing a lot of the sniping doctrine um, over here. And and uh, yeah, there's not many people in the in the world of the infantry, um, New Zealand infantry, that don't know the name of Ben Fell uh, mm. uh, through my father as well. So uh, yeah, big shoes to fill. And I uh, interesting story. I passed my sniping course in 2005 with the UK. Um, serving over there and then I got offered uh, as you do you pass the course and then it's like well do, do you want to go to the sniper platoon and I was in the reconnaissance platoon at that time and the platoon commander pulled me aside and he goes yeah you can go into the sniper platoon but uh, if you go into that platoon you're going to be bottom of the pecking order again as a reconnaissance you're right up here so yeah. if you stay with us we're going to promote you 
And uh, if you go there, you're going to be bottom of the pole again. It's going to be a long time before you before you get promoted. And as a young man, I thought about it, and it was like, okay, more bear tokens or being back <laughs> down here to being the sort of making the cups of tea and all that. And I was, yeah. <laughs> I took bear tokens, and that's actually something I regret mm. uh, to this day. It was a silly decision, but um, but yeah. It was good to pass the course anyway. Oh, it just just as that family connection. Yeah, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing, and it, it's <laughs> it's dangerous to ruminate too much over it as well because it's we've got no control over it. But yeah, it's many things where you're like, well, what if? So you know, with a father who was sort of well established and known in the military, was it always sort of a foregone conclusion that you were going to join and serve? And and was it something i'm just interested because have you seen it stateside it's a it's a documentary i think it's um father soldier son seen that one uh... well well worth checking out i think i think i saw it on netflix and it's a story of exactly that it's a father who was in the military um i believe afghanistan or iraq um lost a leg essentially came back but it was just, a again, the U.S. and the patriotism and this drive that um, he was instilling in his kids that he wanted one of his sons to join the military and go back and everything. And the older son wasn't so keen on it. He wanted to do his thing. The younger son, who was four, basically, was like, I'm going to, you know, there was a, there's a incredible scene where they interview, I think the kid's like three or four. And he's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a soldier. Why do you want to be that? I want to go kill the man who took my father's leg. And that's, that's his, this is a, this is like a four-year-old that's his, and you know, and, and the story there's, it's a whole, it's a slice of life. And the, it's a guy's challenges of dealing with, I've lost the leg, which is, you know, and so there's some parallels with you. It's like, am I less of a man? What use am I to anything anymore? What use as a father or as a husband? And, and this guy, you get to watch some pretty big dips and ups. And then you swear the guy got kicked again and up again. So, yeah, I, I guess a roundabout way, was it something you just always knew that was what you were going to be? Was it something you were kind of directed into, you know? No, I, I definitely think my parents would have wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor or something. <laughs> okay, that, right. Pay, yeah. Something that could pay the bills for them yeah. when they're in the time. But, uh, no, they, they never forced me. But, I, you know, as a, young, as a young person growing up around the military, you have idols and you your yeah, parents well, are your idols yeah. Uh, yeah, initially, uh, as we could probably all relate to. So, yeah, I was around these strong military characters and I, and I wanted to be one. And, and uh, you know, it's um, I think it was always going to happen, but I definitely yeah. wasn't forced into it as such. Yeah. Because um, you, yeah, you got probably. siblings? Yes, I do. Yes, I have a, uh, a, a, young, a younger brother and okay. an older brother and an older sister, yeah. And did they also follow in the military path, or was it? My the, older the, brother did. Uh, yeah. He served with the engineers, and he's in Canada at the moment, uh, working in the oil fields. Uh, my sister didn't. Uh, she lives in Christchurch. And my younger brother was never. No, he was never. Yeah, been, yeah. So it was, you know, the brother thing. Sometimes, yeah, we were very, very different. He, <laughs> he's an amazing guy, but there's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, as you know, with kids, they they. Sometimes, like my two little girls, occasionally you would swear they were twins, and other times they're very, very clearly not the same per in personality. And as they grow older, that you can just see it as well. And same with my brother. I remember people used to call us twins when we were growing up, and we would never like. How would you even think we were twins? We look so different. And now, personality-wise, 
there's crossover, but we're very different people as well. And that's, sure. you know, sure. that's the beauty of it. So, yeah. so you entered into, into New Zealand because I was never quite sure because I knew, I knew you were three power, which I understood was British. So I was never quite sure if you were Kiwi born or actually British and moved over, but you don't sound British. So that was my conundrum, but I was like, okay. Um, you know, I, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's something as a, as a civilian. I, it's not something I normally hear of, bar like the French Foreign Legion of someone going overseas and joining a military of a, of a, a different nation, you know? I mean, yeah. how, I suppose because you were already military for you to go do that, they could kind of see that you'd already done it. It wasn't like you just moved to England yeah. and joined the army, basically. Yeah, the, um, it's interesting, actually, because the, uh, the way they work is over there. I don't know if they still do it now, but any Commonwealth country could join the uh, UK forces at that time. Gotcha. Any, any Commonwealth country. So I served with, uh, obviously, British, British people, but um, there were South Africans. The, the, probably the, the two most predominant Commonwealth nations that join the British military, at a guess, I would say, are the South Africans and the uh, Fijians. Okay. They have yeah. large numbers. Yeah, large numbers over there. Kiwis. Over my nine years, there was probably a dozen Kiwis that I came across in the parachute regiment. So it's not common. Um, but, I, you know, as I was saying with, with, about the heroes, I mean, when I was in the, in the New Zealand infantry, we were reading books about the Falklands. And yeah. I, I remember reading them and I just remember thinking, these guys, are how could they do? That's just incredible, the feats they achieved in such mm. a short amount of time. So to us as soldiers, it was um, it's a challenge, yeah. And then they were kind of the epitome. Well, it, it was the motherland, you know. That's the yeah, so to speak. Yeah. So, so the the parachute regiment. I mean, how does it work? Were you recon within the parachute regiment, or was that different in the timeline? So you're recon within the parachute because I yes try. I still get lost a little bit of the structure sitting within it. So. Um, the parachute regiment. I was going to say, how did you get it? How did you get into jumping out of planes? It just became as part of came. Well, how else are you going to get there? We're going to throw you out of a plane to get there. Basically, that's the yeah. I mean, it's a it's a point of entry thing. So the the paratrooper capability. The reason why it's been around so long is because and, and you know Kabul recently kind of proved it. And it was two and three power. Three power was there um, um, during that operation because. If you need to get people on the ground to secure an area very, very quickly, there's no quicker way to do it than jump in a plane and then jump out of the plane. So yep. that's the, the very core premise of, of the airborne units. And the way you get into it is um, you have a four to five month kind of training program. And then you do a thing called P Company, which is a, which is a week of tests that you have to pass. Passing that, you then pass out from that phase and you go into your jumps course. Um, and I think, funnily enough, and you'll find <laughs> you'll find this a lot with paratroopers. Um, a lot of paratroopers are afraid of heights, and they hate jumping. <laughs> uh, and I'm the same. And I think I think <laughs> it's that weird thing where, like, if you are afraid of something, you you, you go towards it, and you yeah. say, "I'm afraid yeah. of something, but I'm not going to let it beat me." So, so you know, the 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 parachuting side of it is um, w- was an attempt to try and get over that fear. Um, or, or just kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know what. I- <laughs> well, and, and as it turned out, I, I think something put uh, the absolute level of fear into you and, and <laughs> the very thing you were trying to overcome by, you know. It's, 
<laughs> breaking you literally as well in the, in the process of so <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah and so, it doesn't for the, to those out there thinking that doing it is going to ease the fear it didn't really <laughs> actually i ended up being paid to do a job of the, the plane stuff and that stuff which i really didn't wasn't that keen on really but uh you know oh that's the thing but I, it's like anything with fear there's 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 learning methods of actually going, well, yes, I have fear, but I still need to get the job done. Therefore, I have to do these things and go do it versus just yes. stopping. You know, again, it's interesting again with kids at the moment, like my little girl says, I'm scared or I'm, I'm afraid of something. It's like, that's fine. That's fine. Of course you are. It's something new. It's something worried. But the what we need to work through is whether that's going to now stop you and stop you from going and doing what you want to do or whether it's like, they'll feel the fear and do it anyway or feel the fear, but that doesn't mean necessarily in her case, it doesn't necessarily mean she's going to smash her spine up or get all these other things um, yeah. because it's, it's just a dark hallway or something like that. It's like, there's no, it's a, it's a, it's in your head. And it's just get it's on a and fine line with children, isn't it? Because you want that, you want to push them. You want them to be a bit daring. You want them to get into trouble to a certain yeah. degree. And you want them to tackle life. But at the same time, you don't want them to break themselves or, or, or um, you know, so it's quite a, you know, as you and I know, parenting, parenting is uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a whole new ballgame. Well, especially, and I wonder if it's the same in some ways for you with the military background. Like for me, so my work background or working background, a lot of it was health and safety. I was, I was raised by a nurse come health and safety, work safe, inspector, prosecutor, that side of it. So I've always had this big thing with risk management and at, surrounded by accidents. You know, yeah. um, we had this little book of horrors, which was basically work accident photos that mum would bring home and she needed to decompress and she'd decompress with the family. So you'd get to see gory photos of what workplace accidents were. So then I find myself in a workplace and guys would be like, oh, we're going to do this. I'm like, dude, I've seen photos of what happens if this goes wrong. So we're going to manage it. Yeah. So now you've got this little creature in front of you who you're responsible for trying to risk manage. And you, you know, I can see how this whole cotton wood, cotton wool bud thing of putting high vis vests and cones and everything. It's like back off, dude. She's just climbing up a ladder. Let her climb up, go off. You don't, you, it's all right. She'll be, she'll be okay. And I'm, exactly. I'm getting better at it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a conundrum. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so for much of your service time, were you based or was your tour in Afghanistan? Is that the correct way of putting it? You spent a lot of time in Afghanistan or? I did, uh, I did one tour, my first tour was to East Timor. Um, and then okay. my second tour to East Timor, I injured myself. That's why I left the Kiwi Army and went over Britain because I was sent back early off a tour. Right. Um, and I'd love to say it was some sort of, cool yeah, but, injury yeah. right but it was so lame it was uh i was playing touch rugby uh <laughs> with some pgans on the runway at, at uh, suai there and, and uh, had a little sort of tackle with one of if them ended did, up breaking yeah, who, broke, yeah 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 and anytime you're usually guys. second best of the with the fijian lads and uh yeah i ended up breaking my wrist so not a very cool operational injury but <laughs> that's just the way it is um <laughs> Because we're, we're putting some dates together and and were you in Afghanistan because there's the movie which some people might have seen, which is the three para boys in the minefield, Ka Kara Ka Kajaki? Yeah, Kajaki, yeah, or Kajaki? Uh, Kilo 2, something Bravo. 
Um, yes, it's called something different in America, and it's yeah. So those those were I know all of those guys, and uh, one of them was my very good friend. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the first guy who went into the minefield, the sniper, Stu, with um, yeah, he was a uh, yeah, he is an absolute top guy. Very good friends. Spent a long time in, in the Paris with him, and um, so yeah, that that was my tour. That that was <laughs> they were all my mates, and. Um, yeah, that was a shocking. I haven't watched that movie yet, as you as you'd uh, as you'd expect. Um, and I'm still on comms with Stu, but the, I think it was to go back. I, it was East Timor, East Timor, uh, Iraq for zero four or zero three, zero three, and then it was Northern Ireland, uh, and then it was two tours of Afghanistan. Right. Um, so it was a pretty busy time to be in the military. To be fair, busy time to be a paratrooper. And the two Afghan tours, as you would imagine from the from the movie that came out of them, and the yep. multitude of books was uh, was fairly uh, spicy, as we, yeah. as you and I would say. <laughs> on like, the computer yeah. games that we play, we, we've connected <laughs> online. We, we, yep. Yeah, with our gaming, it's fairly spicy, isn't it? It's pretty spicy. Uh, well, it's been interesting because it was almost the, the the tempo of activity in the military for the, those periods of years did really increase. And I still remember there's a great video online, and I think it's a gentleman who was Iraq or Afghanistan and then a, a veteran from either World War One or World War Two, and they sit down and have a chat. And it's a really interesting chat because the old fella, you know, the young guy's like, oh, you're in World War II and went through and everything like that. And then the old guy's like, well, what, what was your tour like? And he listed it off. And the guy just, this old guy just turns around and goes, you've seen a lot of stuff, haven't you, young fella? Because it's not not to not in any way to diminish the world wars because they were the world wars. and But these guys as yourself would go back and then you're back out on another tour you go back and go back out on another tour go back out and go on another tour so it was yeah, uh, uh, yeah you didn't you kind of got back reset and then you're back off again because it is it's the job that's the yeah. that's the thing there was a particular uh there's a particular torture almost of operating in afghan uh initially there was a lot more context than there was ieds but once the once the Taliban realize that they lose every single time, no matter what you see or hear on, you know, they couldn't match us. There's no way. We outgunned them. Um, we were more accurate than them. We were more aggressive than them. And they come off second best almost every single time um, in my personal experiences. And they realized then that they had to change their tactics a bit because they were just losing on every front. So that's when the IDs come into yeah. it. And, um you know, I think a lot of my struggles initially, you know, I'm a lot better now, but initially when I was, uh, yeah, I was not in a good frame of mind when I got back here because you imagine the the day-to-day, sometimes with the reconnaissance stuff, I would be mounted on a, on a you, you, I mean, you own a defender, so yeah. we had the defenders as well. Um, so, yeah, in fact, we did spend a lot of time broken down in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate, I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, you, you would have had the wolves. Would have it been the wolf? I think it was yeah, the version I, they had. I've heard the word wolf. It wasn't a term that it would have would have been before my time, but we would have called them Wimics, which is a okay. weapons mounted installation kit. So yep. it's a it's a defender with the fifty cow and the jimpy mounted for the commander or or configurations. Later on, it was the general, um, the machine gun, the the um, yeah. the four grenade launcher on there. Um, so. There's this part of operating there when you're mounted or even dismounted where 
you're, you're looking out for IEDs, right? So, so if you can put yourself in the, in the position of some, you know, some of my mates, some of the guys, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old, some of them are a little bit younger than that. And their job is to look for IEDs. Mm. And, you know, how many IEDs do you come close to? And, and how many IEDs, you know, I can't off the top of my head think about how many IEDs we actually hit that, that completely total vehicles and injured people. Yeah. And th- there's a mindset that you have when you're looking for the IEDs. You, you're trying to be as alert as you can. Now, an operation could go on for days and days mm-hmm. and sometimes weeks. And now, day on day, looking for these IEDs. And then one day you get it wrong and then you're good for a couple of weeks. And then someone else gets it wrong. The, the mental stress, like, yeah, it's hard to describe it. It's, and it's accumulative. And so well, later on, that's the kind of things that were going through my head when I got back to New Zealand. And I'll be driving down the road here in Tauranga. And uh, my eyes would just start wandering down as they would. And I was scanning and I was checking. And uh, it's just all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're, you're right back there. And, and it was hard to shake it off. And I knew mm. I was here. I knew I was safe. But in my head, I was somewhere else. And, and yeah, it was, it was a tough few years for sure. Well, it seems to be as well the reintegration, you know, from my understanding is it's uh, – it was like my my grandfather as well. He was World War Two. Um, never never really spoke much about it. Never spoke to his dad about it. I learned details later on in his life as what he originally I was told he did in the war was not what he actually did in the war. And don't ask him about it because he's not really going to talk a lot about it ever. And it's understandable when you knew what he was involved with. But the the difference was I think one of them is that when he came back it was on the boats and it was time what did they do on the boats they told stories probably drank probably cried a lot probably reminisced and everything and had a time to decompress and then when he came back he was straight back into work he worked at the Herald at a printing pit but straight back into work because we need to get back to work we need to get back into stuff and I, I wonder or I observe maybe it seems to be a difference now that a guy can come back from the front line be flown back within a matter of eight hours or something dropped off and bang, there you go. You're, you're back into civilian life again. Yeah. Good luck, you know, and it just that, that integration process, even though that there is services and systems to help with it, it, it's, it's just, yeah, it's been a shift from what the original guys doing this would have had to deal with as they were coming, they had time almost to come back into it. Whereas now, yeah, you go one day, you're looking for IDs. Next one, you're driving down the road on Queen Street and bloody the, the lights are beeping and someone closes a door. Well, your brain's not, can't exactly. switch that quick. So. Exactly, man. No, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. You described it very well. And um, the Falkland vets described that they, all of a sudden they, they were assaulting Argentinian trenches with bayonets fixed. And then a few weeks or a month later, they're sitting in a pub in, in England mm. looking at each other like sort of, you know, it's yeah. Is that real? Very we, surreal. Yeah. Very what surreal. is the real part of it? Yeah, we we had a, we had a thing after the first talk called decompression, and uh, there's some short video clips which I would definitely not show everybody. <laughs> but uh, decompression was in Cyprus, so they flew us back to Cyprus and they basically locked us down with armed guards and just fed us a load of booze. Yep. And let us let it all out, and yep. uh, we probably got more injuries from that decompression than we did during the tour. <laughs> and there was a lot of injuries on the tour, and, and a lot of mayhem. But it, 
it was carnage. Um, yeah. I think that the, the short, <laughs> the short video clip I've got basically sort of does a pan and it shows a full on riot with probably a third of the guys completely naked and beer cans <laughs> and tables flying in every direction. And, uh, but that, that, that's kind of, that was one way they used so that yep. we didn't go back to Colchester then and, and, and completely go nuts and yep. everybody got arrested and that's what they wanted to avoid. And I, I actually think it worked. I actually think it was a, it was a good thing. Mm. It, it, it's something I've, I've sort of had an interest and in, followed. Um, what's his name? Sebastian. Young, um, butchering his name. The guy did all the docos. Young, young, young. Yeah, uh, he, he did Restrepo, and then yeah. a couple of the other movies. He also wrote a book, Tribes, which is a really good. It's sort of his experience, and it, and it talks about, um, you know, in some ways he describes as bad as Afghanistan was. It was almost like an Eden for men because it gave guys a level of comradeship and a level of purpose and sense of purpose and sense of nowness that that by my I, I can only imagine but i can't see any other environment apart from warfare where you it's life and death for you to be in the moment and it's interesting now that like i look at my life you know great things i've enjoyed has been like the motorbike because you go fast on a motorbike it becomes you the road and that corner coming up and it just drags you into the moment and same as shooting, you know, that mindfulness behind the rifle, which people talk about bringing it. It's, we're just finding, I think most humans are trying to find ways of getting ourselves into that moment and getting ourselves into the now, you know, be here in the now. Well, threat to your life must be one of the most infectious ways of getting that, I can only imagine. And that's, you know. Maybe, you, again, you totally concur with what you're saying. And, and um, I think in modern life, um, in modern life, you know, you, you look back at, uh, you know, the origins of, of humanity and we had all these things in our lives back then, like hunting and just surviving and, and feeding um, the family groups that we were in. And that was all encompassing, you know, like you could get fulfillment from finding water for yeah. your family. You, you could get total fulfillment. Purpose was hunting. You, mm. If you got the kill, you, you, your whole life was complete for that amount of time. And now you supplant the way that that, that, that for our, our kind of primal, primal stage and supplant it now and you still have those genetic mechanisms that we're looking for. We love, we love purpose. We love, um, as you described, mindfulness, that singleness of focus. You know, it, it, it motivates us. It makes us feel fulfilled. And it's, uh, it's really lacking in modern life, I feel. I, I, I yep. I feel it's lacking and I feel there's a lot of lack of purpose. Um, people trying to find themselves, find the meaning to their life. It can't just be all about yourself and making yourself feel good or doing things that make you feel good. You know, there's all these uh, questions that man's grappled with throughout our history. So anything like that, I found the same thing skydiving when I was doing the skydiving. As much as I didn't like heights, there's still a, when, when you're at the door, the door goes up and, and the wind rushes in and it feels so odd because it's like, I know I'm in a plane which is safe, and now the why? Why is the door going out? It's so weird. And now I've got to go out. What I'm yeah. jump out of the plane. Your whole focus just comes down into okay. I need to do this. I've got to focus on what I'm doing because if I get it wrong, it's not going to be good. I could get hurt, or someone else can get hurt. And and combat's a bit like that. You ask any of the guys, ask any of my mates, any regrets? Would they go back and do it again? Almost to a man, they all say they would. 
Mm. They all, it's the weirdest, it's such a weird thing. And, but having that purpose gave meaning yeah. to, 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 to us. It gave fulfillment and meaning. Um, you know, the tragedy now obviously is the way it's turned out, but you can't really blame soldiers for that. This is really no. a, that's no. a politician's game. And, and uh, I think sometimes when society is turned against um, perhaps police or other forms of service or soldiers or the military, they've forgotten that, that we provide a, a very key service, but we don't start the wars. We, those yeah. are not our decisions. Yeah. Those are not our decisions at all. So if the public has problems with things that the military are doing, you need to go to the politicians. You need to vote in the politicians that you want or, or the responsible ones that you believe as a, as a democratic society would. Mm. You don't have a go at the servicemen themselves. No. I think that's, who, that's who are there doing? Well, so my, my grandfather, his battalion, they took a lot of their memoirs and bits and pieces and some of them still sit up at the Auckland War Museum. But I recently, my mother gave to me, they've got all the, they interviewed him for it. So they've got all the audio recordings. They've got some of his original letters and the transcripts and everything. And you read those and he was just a young boy, man, who really didn't have any idea what he was going over to. And very quickly, you saw that switch to simply telling stories about his mates and his friends and his friends he made on the way over there. Then they get over there and then the war starts and now it's just simply about looking after your mates and surviving with those, those mates. So yeah, that's it. I think I've always made a point of trying to differentiate for people from yeah, military police to a certain extent, the guys who are doing their jobs, they've, they needed a job, they've found into their background, whatever it is, they're genuinely, I still believe there to make, try and make the best of the situation, you know, and it's, sometimes they're in, ridiculous situations they're put into and you know amazing they come out so well they do at all exactly mate, mate. Mm. absolutely and um yeah look i think another thing when you mentioned about your granddad there the other reason the other thing with veterans that i've found is you know we struggle to make meaningful friendships after service because if you put yourself in that mindset one day you've got a friend who would fix bayonets right beside you and charge into some stupid situation yeah. to help you out or help out a friend or even help out an acquaintance. And then you go back to normal going to New World and barbecues and things like that. And, yeah. you know, with the parenting thing as well, you'll meet other parents and that sort of thing. And it's not that you don't trust them. It's just that the level of your relationships and your bonds before were at this in insane level of trust. Yeah. Even guys who you wouldn't say hello to in the in the street, in normal civilian life. Some of these guys, you never meet them. You're just from such different backgrounds. But you are molded together in this incredible experience. And you know more about them than, than some of your family members. Mm. Now, the, it's very difficult to then go into civilian life and try to recreate those bonds. I think perhaps if you went into mountaineering or something where you were in small groups relying on people to that level, then yes, you would develop very similar relationships. But it's something I've had to work on, and I know a lot of my friends have had to work on. Like, I, I, you have to, you can't go through life like that. You have mm -hmm. to relax, you have to trust people, and you, 
<laughs> and you have to put effort into relationships and you have to put yep. effort into friendships. You can't, but not, you know, with the military stuff, those guys will always be the same level of friends, whether we meet now or in 50 years time, whatever it is, we will always have this insane connection and we will always be very tight. But in the civilian world, you have to put effort into friendships. You, you, you know, you, you can't just not talk to someone for bloody, some, you know, some friends you can do, but you know, you don't yeah, talk yeah. to someone for five years. Yeah. You can pretty much say they're not that great a friend. Yeah. But that's different with the military. I could not talk to some of these reprobates for, for a long time. <laughs> and as soon as you one word and you're straight back into it again. And that's that's the thing. And at the same time, it's there's a there's a level of, you know, you're basically pressure cooked as far as I can see. You're taking a group of these guys, putting them in this pressure, high, high pressured situation where they're just going to meld. There's going they're either going to meld or completely fall to bits. And that will result in all kinds of issues because you are reliant on each other. So more likely you're going to meld. And it's probably in some way safe to say that the military system, the training is also designed to make sure that happens because they know you have to be working together. So, you know. Absolutely. So, so you're involved with that and then you got involved with the Red Devils. Was the Red Devils something you did as well or was that basically its own thing that's it you're now part of this and what what was the point of the red devils was it a it's recruiting yeah so it's in the public place so you you leave the 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 uh the the combat side of the paris and you go into a different area 24 7 so you're in a right completely different part of the uk completely different training you, you would seldom wear camouflage you would be always in casual gear or the jumpsuits or the sponsored gear that you would get and yep. it was like a completely different world and i went into that because i'd done a little bit of skydiving previously but uh, i think i was actually really burnt out from afghan mm. i was after i got off the second tour i was uh, i was actually shattered looking back now i can see that absolutely i knew i didn't want to go back to afghan but you know you, you're kind of in the moment there so you don't have any um you don't have a broad scope of what's going on. But looking back now, I can see I was absolutely melted after the second tour and I was looking for a way to try something different uh, for a while and then see where that went. Um, and so, yeah, and so you, you start off the team and, I, you know, I was in my first year on the team, so I was relatively junior as a, as a, as a Red Devil. Um, I think I'd done a couple of hundred jumps with the team just before I had my accident. But you start off on the microphone on the ground, so the guys are jumping. Right. You're on the microphone and you're calling it in. You're, you're sort of geeing up the crowd, um, describing what the paratroopers do in, in wartime, and then you name the guys as they come and this kind of thing. And, and it's uh, see, I can't, I can't see you on a microphone trying to talk up other people. Is <laughs> <laughs> maybe it makes sense now. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it was a hidden skill. It was a hidden skill. Um, center of attention. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so that's the side of it, and it's in the public eye. It's to get them to look at the military. Um, you know, it, it's to, to bring people on board to start the conversation. Because even after everything that's happened, I had the most incredible time in the military. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had the most. I um, I met most of the royals, including the queen. Um, I got to, you know, I'd never been to Italy before. I'd never been over to Italy, and the first time I saw Italy. We'd boarded um, a Hercules uh, in Britain and we'd, we'd flown across to Italy to do an exercise, but we jumped in at about, must have been 800 foot or 1,000 feet. It was the first time I saw Italy was under a parachute. Right. Uh, yeah, there. And then we spent a month over there training with the uh, Italian paratroopers, the Fulgrave. Um, 
experiences like that, like you just you just couldn't. I don't know where you would buy that. That's mm. and that's. Um, so yeah, even after everything that's happened and, and the state I'm in now, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. It's uh, well, yeah, it's funny. You know, it was one thing my grandfather, one of the few things he did talk about his time he was in Italy and he said Italy was beautiful. You know, that was the thing. He always wished he'd never managed it, but he always wished he'd get back there when it wasn't a war zone. You know, that was the thing, but it was still beautiful. That was He still loved the country. Did he manage um, to get back there? No, no, unfortunately, just the time and everything like that. Um, but I think that was the thing. It was, you know, it was young guys going on adventure adventuring in the world you know and that's uh, i don't know again i don't i don't like the word uh, don't like the word regret or pondering on it but it is one of those things i look back on and had the opportunity at times to join in a service or either military or police and i looked at multiple different ways of doing it but never did and it's interesting like uh, i did the interview with um uh, dan hardy recently and also talking to a lot of guys overseas who are ex-military or military and it it, it there does seem to be and I, the other thing i remind myself is i'm i'm probably actively talking to guys who were the we'll call it the successful side of people coming out of the military because i'm also aware there's a lot of guys who no doubt go in the military who are absolute shitbag drop kicks as it is in life you know so i, I i've selected the people i talk to but it, it certainly does seem to also the guys i've met come out of it it's left them with a certain sense of um confidence and skills and and issues i'm also going to say that as well but a certain you know a drive or a sense of purpose that once they get back on to the next mission and that always seems to be the key they need to find another mission yes they know how to get onto the mission and then pursue it um which takes us back to that that sense of purpose that a lot of people seem to be missing and you know knowledge workers who sit in a cubicle all day and middle management where I've been in roles where some days you're like, what the hell do I do? Really, what do I do? What's my, I'm going to go down to the warehouse and make widgets because at least today, then I feel like I've made something tangible. I can look at the amount of widgets we've done and I'll say I'm writing a process about making widgets. But part of it was just wanting something tangible that I could walk away from the end of the day and go, I've made something and I've brought something into the world. I've created something. I'm involved with something that I can see as a result. Yeah, yeah just a bit of tangibility with it as well. That's so true, man. And, and um, you know, that that, that mission orientated obviously it, it relates to veterans because it, the military is always mission orientated. Whether it's to whether it's to clean the parade ground or something lame, like <laughs> dig a bunch of holes around, but it's always a goal, and there's always for, yeah. for fun when you achieve it. That's why that a lot of the guys struggle. But I think in a wider perspective in society now, people are trying to work out what their mission is. It's a, it's a it's a human thing. It's not you know vet, veterans are, are are conversed in it and and they are molded into that uh, and trained in it. But it's a it's a human wide problem that we have is is mm. what is your mission in life and and uh, how do you find fulfillment? How do you yeah. do the things that make you happy? The work life balance thing, um, the job that doesn't feel like a job or gives you meaning. I mean, these are all very hard things to. To get and to balance and i know i know you you've recently changed mm-hmm. jobs as well and i guess i mean how's that gone for you because that's well, not easy to do to go I, i'm un, i'm unemployed is what i am is it's not a it's not a change jobs i 
you know, I got out of a. I should went we put from, the give a little. Should we put the give a little? <laughs> give a little link. <laughs> you can subscribe on the website. Is actually what is happening, which is is good. I should have done that probably five or ten years ago when I started, and people are literally subscribing. You know, and it's it's just it's it, it's funny because it's not huge amounts of money, but it's just awesome seeing people value what I'm doing enough to actually regularly subscribe and give money. And I mean, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went from a, I went from eight years in a particular role with a good group of mates, and we knew we had our mission, which was developing this this group and the the company, and it grew and it grew. And in hindsight, I look back at this organization, and though we, because we were close as a family, it was a family company, and I sort of became part of that family. There was family issues, but now being even briefly involved in other companies, I look back and realize how well that place actually ran and how how high speed it actually was in some ways because we just we were on a mish um so i left that to start the bloke and precision shooter and since then yeah it's been a weird journey but probably part of it has been been that lack of not really exactly knowing what the hell i was doing or where i was going with it i knew i wanted to do the site and provide this content and everything but um yeah it's it's been bumpy you know and, and continues to be so and COVID doesn't help and the firearms industry is an interesting industry to be in at the best of times and New Zealand's been a very interesting place the last couple of years so you know it's yeah same thing you you stop and look and yeah just ponder it's like what's what's the next step but then I've also realized I've been doing that for most of my life is that attitude so it's you just kind of tick on tick on through so we shall see you're on the right track though you think I don't know. I, I think that's part of what it is, is, you know, I'm looking forward to this is, I don't, I'm trying to think of, I've actually been out hunting this year. All right. So you oh. kind of, you're like, hang on a minute, something is broken if that is actually the case. And I think that's a case. So I am looking forward to after the lockdown is going out and maybe hunting and maybe I'll take a rifle, but I'll just go sit on the side of the mountain and go, right. What actually what, you know, um, and I think, yeah, that is that that challenge is even though I've found myself in a strange area, if, if people float along and it's that that conundrum of um, like I, I did a lot of martial arts as a kid. So I followed Buddhism and Taoism and Taoism is that notion of of floating, basically going. It's not it's getting out of the way and just letting everything float. But the flip side of that sometimes I think is where well, you float, but where do you end up? So, sure. you know. So who knows? Maybe with two kids now, I can't really go join a monastery. So that's now ticked off. So the hermitage isn't going to work. <laughs> I think they do background checks, Jerry. On yeah, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure we get into the monastery now. Mate. Maybe a few years. Ago. Maybe not. I, was, I think was, I was, you were corrupted as a young DJ. <laughs> well, as as during schooling, I was voted most likely to become a priest, which is an interesting. <laughs> yeah, for people who know me, that's the that's an interesting observation. Anyway, right. so. So yeah, so you're you're in um, you're in the Red Devils. You have the accident. I mean, what is it? Is it hitting a brick wall? I mean, what are you at that point? Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you where do you you kind of you're you're through the other side of it. So you you're on the other side of it. But I, I can only imagine at that point it's like yeah. I, I don't know. Just... Am I ever going to walk again? I mean, how? I tell you what. The uh, you. Everything that everything that I'd done up to that point helped me out. Yeah, because 
you can't let the fear. I mean, I mean, I, I was fully paralyzed from the waist down. I didn't know if I could have kids. I don't know if yep. I can walk again. Um, these thoughts, I mean, they will destroy you. They will absolutely yeah. destroy you. So I'm in the hospital bed, and 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 that's kind of when the training takes over. You know, the paratrooper training. It's hard. It's tough, and it's a it's a tough mob to be in. Like just even when you're in, it's it's you know the the week to week sort of stuff that you do, and it's not relent. It's never relents. Mm. And that set me up for for what's the mission? Well, I got to get strong. I've got to maybe I walk, maybe I don't. But if I'm in a wheelchair, I'm going to be the strongest, uh, you know, maniac in a wheelchair that I can be. Mm. Um, if I can walk again, what can I get back? You know, and and that's that was my goal, and I just I I hammered it. I remember the um, the hospital in the UK I was in initially. They would only they only had certain slots for gym time. So I, I nagged the, um, I can't remember the name, not occupational, too, the therapist there mm. so that they would put a, uh, an exercise bike in the ward with me so I could kind of zimmer frame across and sit on it and kind of get one leg was a bit stronger at that stage and I'm sort of doing this weird. But I had to, I couldn't lie there and wait for my next gym session. I had to, I had to get moving. I had to try everything that I could yeah. and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't give up. And not giving up is a big thing with paratroopers and military people. Yeah. Once you have control, you, you have to be dogged. You're not always going to succeed, but if you're going to give it a damn good shot every time. So that set me up for it. So that really put me in good stead to have a positive mindset. And the other thing as well, Kerry, like you imagine when I was in rehabilitation, I'm in there with guys that I knew from the parachute regiment and guys from other regiments that were injured in Afghanistan. Right. Now I had... Uh, there's several double amputees who are friends of mine, still friends now. Their mindset, when they're giving it everything and they're not trying, they're not letting it get them down. Some of them have been had shocking injuries. There, there was a, a young South African guy, and I'll never forget it. And I walked into the gym one day, and uh, he's there, and, and he's uh, he's one of the one of the. There was only a few triple amputees, so he lost two legs and an arm. And mm. He's only got one arm left. So what they did was he'd worked out a deal with, with the physical training instructor to kind of strap him onto the seat of an arm bike that we you pedal yep. with your arms. Yeah. So he has sat there strapped in and he's got one arm and he is just pedaling it because he's not going to give in. And that's mm. all he could do to stay fit. And that's that's his mindset. Now you look at it and, and, and yeah, sure, I had my problems, but how can you be down on yourself when you're around people like that? Yeah. How can you not be inspired yeah. by people like that? And when I was in the civilian uh, system initially, because the, 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 the parachute action actually happened in Britain, when I was in the civilian system initially, I was in the wards with people that had kind of given up and they were mm. feeling sorry for themselves and it really starts to affect you and it's yep. not good. And then I got, went on to the military side of it and I was in there with these guys and they were just absolutely inspirational. You know, I... I I take I take my hat off to all of them. The the things that they endured and 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 came back from and and never gave up. It, it inspired all of us. So mm. yeah, it was tough, but I was around. I was in the best place, and I was around the best people. So yeah, I mean, that, having that drive, there's obviously you know this notion that everything would be like every day you're not going to be driven there's going to be up days there's going to be down yes. days and that's the you know it's not like yes you're surrounded by these guys but you would have i would assume still have had pretty dark days what was 
you know, was there anything at those points to get onto that next day or to get, you know, what was the, when you're down, how do you get, how would you get back out of it? I guess was the thing. Was it a. Yeah, you, you're right. You, nobody, I don't, you know, nobody is going to be up all the time. You just, no. it's impossible. I, I'd be nervous if anybody ever was because you're kind of like, <laughs> you're masking something or something's going to have to happen. We've yeah. got to, you know, yeah. You're that, that or you're psychotic. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah. Cut down the amount of drugs you're. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got no idea what's going on, and life is great, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> exactly. morphine's a hell of a drug. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's bloody hell. Um, yeah. Over in Britain, it was just a mindset to get as fit as I can, really. Okay. I, you know, that the, the, the need to get better was what drove me. And it drove me to stay as fit as I could, and I, with whatever I had. And um, was it a was it a case of the, yeah? Was it a case of big picture versus small picture? Like, were you, you know, I mean, you you got the long term goals you want to get out and everything. At the same time, is it because you hear people just they're like, just do that one thing. It's one, you know, focus on the next five minutes. Get that next over that next hill. Get over that next thing. You know what? There's there's a there's a certain point in an injury where you you're trying to find what your new norms are. You're trying to find yeah. what your new limits are, and I think everyone that that has an injury goes through that. And I was trying to find what my new norms were, and and I come to realize, you know, one of the charities was called Help for Heroes, and it was still growing at that stage, but it ended up being this behemoth of a charity over there, just very very um, successful charity, and they would run. Uh, 350 mile cycle rides through the French countryside of London to Paris. Uh, we did uh, Belgium to Arnhem as well. And I was riding a, a hand, not a hand cycle, I, I had a lay down bike. So I, I, can't yep. remember, I think it's called a recumbent bike or something. So I was still Is using one of the ones with the flags up the top. You're always worried about running over when you see them on the streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. You need the flag, <laughs> eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the truck, I'm just like I can't. I got no idea where these guys are. Oh, there's a the flag. At least it's there. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and so I ended up doing a couple of. I, you know, initially I thought, what the hell am I doing? You know, I, I, I yeah, my walking's still very weak, and I've got a long way to go. But I'm signing up to this thing, and and I ended up doing two of them. Mm. So there's an element of yeah, you could get to a comfortable point, or <laughs> or you could up the stakes. Up the ante, wherever I think my limit is, let's bust through that and let's let's keep going. So, um, and there were some long, long days on those, as you'd imagine, three hundred fifty. One of them was mm. closer to four hundred miles. Um, but yeah, every time you think you have a limitation, that's literally a limitation that's in your own head. You've placed the limitation on yourself. Yeah, and uh, I think anything in life, that's probably a good attitude to have. Mm. Um, to I, th- I guess it, I guess. What I mean is you have to be careful not to place the limitations yourself to limit you and not realize that your your actual growth can can go way past that. So that was the attitude that I tried to have. I was trying to find my limits. I was trying to find what I was capable of. Yeah. And I ended up finding out that I was capable of a hell of a lot more than I thought. So, um, yeah. I, I forget the guy's name. He was um, one of the Medal of Honor recipients in the US. He's still around. Um, one of the guys who he jumped on a grenade, basically, and took a grenade to the chest, saved the squad and everything. 
and um yeah found himself back in hospital they're like face is gone eyes gone limbs all over and thing well he basically signed himself up to a marathon and they're like you're not even walking what do you do he's like, i'm gonna run a marathon I'm like what and but it was the same thing for him it was just like ridiculous at the time but yeah he did it and he's done several more since and it was just yeah. a case of again having that mission because i guess yeah, when you when you start people, it's that vicious cycle of losing your way, losing that mission, slowing down, losing a little bit of the health, you know, or losing that drive and everything. And you can see how for that notion of of depression or people getting down into it, it just feeds on itself and feeds on itself. Yes. And I've even had it with in a, my own small way with lockdown and and with changes, relationship and everything, where I kind of realized a lot of lockdown, I didn't leave the house. I didn't leave this room, you know? And and the modern complication is, is because my my one outlet, I suppose, is conversations like this, because I realized, and I only realized this two days ago, is every Thursday night, there's three or four of us get online and have a chat. And it just happens I've set it up where we broadcast it live over to Facebook. But it's also just catching up. That's that's the Thursday catch up with a couple of mates and talking about something that interests me. And if I didn't have that, who knows? Things would be, you know, there would be no outlet. And I realized recently I wrote an article for the bloke. It's like I've also got the botanical gardens just down here. So all I needed to do is walk out the backyard and I'm it's not the deep bush, but walk off track down the bait lines and you're in the bush. There's no one around. So I suddenly was like, you, you mup it. It's been here all the time. You just had to kind of go for that little walk and put your shoes on. And, and then you sit there and, and surrounded by the bush and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. It wasn't that far away from me after all. So it's pow- It's powerful, man. And that's part of my earlier messages. The outdoors is powerful. It yep. is absolutely powerful. There is something very, very primal in us to do with being out in the mountains, being out in the forest, being near the rivers, hunting. I'm, I'm, you know, for people that don't like hunting, I just don't care. It is, it is traditional. It is something that we have done for, for, for as long as we've been humans. And the effect is powerful. The mm. effect is, is, is almost like nothing else. And, um, but, yeah, you know, whatever people, whatever I, it is, I, exactly. like, whatever your thing is, Find yeah. it. Yeah. You've got to make time for it. Modern life is so distracting. And you, you yeah. and I know this. And, and preferably, life. the one thing I'd say, though, preferably something physical. Something that Absolutely. uses your body. You know, I yes. mean, and this, and we'll talk, I've got a thing to talk about later about game, online gaming as well, because it's a similar yeah. thing. It's, there's a group of guys having a chat. And it's, for me, it's more probably about what's going on in the chat and the banter and the, the shit talking that's going on about what the game is which is good, but a lot of people that becomes the sole thing and they forget about this actual body, this physical system that we've got. And there's some chemistry going on. If we don't use it, serotonin, endorphins, dopamines, all these things, there's a, there's a, there's a pretty physical chemical thing that, that getting outdoors and getting some UV sun on and getting that vit D and everything. And people are, whatever. It's like, well, no, (laughs) no, it's some pretty basic stuff. You're so right. And, and the thing with gaming is, and, and, you know, you and I game online together and we've had great fun and I'm really enjoying it actually, to be fair. Mm. Um, it's a balance. So yeah. as I was saying before, you know, you, we're trying to fill our lives with these things that give us the sensations that we used to have in our daily lives. That We're trying to fill it for thing, with things that in some cases are meaningless, but we're yeah. trying to get that same sensations. And the gaming is another way. I'll be, you know, I'll be honest, but I, 
you have to put it in the correct box. It's enjoyable, yeah. but you can't let it, you have to balance it out with other things. You have to get outdoors because the adventure, you know, I always say to people, you, you sort of think of, you'll read a book about someone having an adventure. My word, you can put on a pack, get your yeah. hiking boots up. You can have your own adventure. You can, I'm not talking about hunting or anything. You can go climb a freaking, there's amazing walks all over the world and in New Zealand in particular. You can be the star of your of your own of, mm. of your own bloody of your own movie. Well, it's it's, it's an interesting thing, and it, it's something I've always been aware of. With like, because I was fairly early into Facebook and the social media and MySpace and all these different things, and that whole uh, idea. MySpace. MySpace. Oh, MySpace. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was well. I was doing music back then, you see. So that was how we got the music and gigs and sure. stuff out. Um, but yeah, what. If you think about it for a lot of stuff is most when people talk about influencers or content creators, they're taking photos of adventure, adventures or putting forward a, a lifestyle that they're living that other people would like to live and therefore live by proxy through it. Sure. But, you're, but you're also, and this is why, I don't know if people ever realize this, but there's not a lot of photos of myself on my Instagram or my Facebook page where you look at a lot of pages that oh, look, there's the mountain behind me, but here's my face in between it because they're actually promoting themselves and that, you know. So yeah. I, was, I was always like, I don't want that. I don't want that shit. Why would I want to do that? What I want to do is provide information so other people can go out and go and do that and don't take photos of yourself while you're out there. Take photos of the bloody scenery or your mates or other stuff. Do anything but take a selfie. Why take a selfie on top of this beautiful scenery? Get the hell out of the way and enjoy the scenery. Yeah. And it's something I see more as these new brand. As soon as someone calls themselves, we're a lifestyle brand. I'm like, so you're trying to sell merchandise. That's what you are. <laughs> it's like, give me content. Give me, let's empower other people to get out there. So, I mean, that's where I hear with you doing the courses and bits and pieces like that. It's like, yeah, that's actually what needs to be happening is getting other people out there. So yeah. to, to kind of fill a gap then, you're, you're, Red Devils, you've you've had the accident You're back in Britain. You shift down to New Zealand. I, was it sort of you had the misses at the time? Was it sort of time to move and settle? Was that part of the? Yeah, yeah, it was. Of, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd spent. I think I was eleven or twelve years over in Britain. Yeah, okay. so it was time to come home. It really, time was to come time home on a, on a lot of levels. Yeah, probably was time to come home. You know, much before that, to be fair. But <laughs> I was always yeah. There's always that next carrot that they dangle. Yeah. The military to get to get you uh, to get you to stay, but yeah. So so I, I moved back and I was very lucky at the time actually because um, I got on the housing market <laughs> at a time when I would not you know a year or two later I wouldn't have been able to afford to. So so gotcha. I was very fortunate with the timing and but unfortunately you know a lot of times when you bring um, when you're in a relationship with someone from another country and you're in that other country. Uh, it was difficult for her to be away from her parents, and and I think increasingly with my own mental health, I was a very difficult person to be around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's that kind of set on you know it was already I was already on a house of cards mentally. So you, uh, you know, it's yeah. often not just one thing. And when we talk about mental health, it's often not one thing. It's an accumulative. No. Yeah. It can be anything, and then you'll have the straw that that breaks the camel's back, as yeah. as they say. So. Well, I mean, I know from like I, I separated coming up to a year now of my partner and, you know, wife and my kids with here for 12 years, same, you know, and 
yeah, you could go, oh, it was one particular thing or a couple of months, but no, it's always a longer, longer thing. And yeah, there's that one thing that's the catalyst, and I'm not really intending to go into that. That's not why I'm here. To that did it, but yeah, it was a long time coming, and and at the end, you kind of both, you both, it was no surprise. At the same time, we were in some ways that I feel we were sort of just got to the point where we stopped stuffing around doing what we knew was going to eventually happen and just got on and did it. And I think it was something like, let's just do this. We know, we know this needs to happen. So let's do it. Sure. Um, so in fact, just a, so that happened at a terrible time for you because oh, it was a, eventually yeah. you would have, you would have wanted to go back on the dating scene and COVID has probably uh, really killed your game, mate. I'm no, just going to throw it. I'm going to throw it out. No, no, I was thinking about it because you lads were all all talking, trying to talk me up while we were playing a game recently and going on about it. And um, no, I I mean, I didn't say much because you like, but no, I really don't. That's the thing. I don't have that inclination. I don't, um, you know, it's, I don't know if it's age thing or got the kids. I mean, I know for a simple fact at the moment with the kids and needing a job and sorting my shit out, I don't have time. And I, I mean this in a nice, I don't have time for a serious relation. It will develop it. And what's been interesting for me is that from a, if we split, <laughs> it's going to, so I mean, if we split, say the, the sex side of things and the love and the relationship side of things, right? Because, you know, guys go jump on Tinder or they're just looking to screw, right? So there's that. And yeah, okay. Yes, that would be good. From a relationship and a love side of things and the, the interaction with human beings, I've got two of them that I'm in not sole charge of, but that's become my, there's my love, there's my focus and friend, you know, that's the thing. So that's, that is actually quite fulfilling for me because I never thought I'd have kids to be blunt. It was never on the plans, greater plan and everything. And they've come into my life and you're like, right. So that, that is very fulfilling for me and, and challenging and emotional and everything with it on the, on the actual, just get them in socks off. Well, yeah, maybe we'll see, we'll see what happens, you know, I'm also where that can complicate things when it goes wrong if you're not, you know. So, so what you're that, saying is it's been a year. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and you're right. COVID, COVID sure hasn't helped. And, and oh, probably the God. fact, I can't, I can't imagine me going into a bar or anything like that for just because I spent too many nights in bars and saw some of the creatures that turn up in there. It's just like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, the thing I, I do ponder it and i'm like oh would i like an, like another rela- relationship or another partner i'm like you know what for for me and my nature I, yes i'm quite a um a borderline hermit you know i'm not joking when i was talking about the ideas of joining a, a hermit or anything it was generally something i might to go do and ponder life on a hilltop so i have limited um bandwidth energy for connecting with other people to be blunt so to have two kids is is stretches me sometimes, you know, and I, I can see I know other guys who are absent fathers, for lack of a better term. And I don't want to do that. I could do it. I, I could see that. And I'm like, no, but that's it's a good balance for me with those for the, the bursts I get with it. So, um, sure, you know, I think, we'll I think it- when they're 16, 17, it might be a very different answer as well, though, for two, two young girls. So I, yeah. I think it's something probably not talked about, mate. Um, what I was saying yeah, there's a, a cumulative effect on mental health and it'd be an interesting conversation. I don't think it's talked about much, the kind of the pressures and the negative impact that it can have, uh, you know, having a family on, on dad um, yeah. and, and mum as well. But I think the mother side of it is, is kind of talked and studied about. But uh, 
you know, there's a lot of pressures um, being yeah. a father as well. And I, I don't think either maybe men, maybe men aren't good at talking about with each other or maybe we oh, don't because yeah. uh, I, I found there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure and it can well, thing, and it's, itself. You can imagine from the real stereotypical thing of being the provider of the family where I've been struggling, where I didn't have the job or the finances and these kids, you're damn right. There's, there's, there's a pressure on it for me for that as well. The other thing I, I find interesting, and you see a bit of it within the hunting and outdoor or anything, is the guys who are they work during the week and then they've got a full-on job. They're doing a 50 or 60-hour high-pressure job on the weekends. To be blunt, they, like myself, probably want to spend time by myself. I want to go decompress so I can see why guys no. then disappear into the hills. But there is a partner and kids at home somewhere, and I... Uh, just because we live in Auckland and we were, you know, so I didn't, I didn't do a lot of that. And it was a weird, I think it was one of the issues we had with the relationship is we almost had this implied guilt on each other that if you're often doing something, well, why aren't you with the kids? Why aren't you helping out with the kids? Yeah. But the irony is then and afterwards, we also realized we both almost resented not being able to do that. Whereas what we should have probably done is gone, this weekend you piss off that weekend I'm pissing off and then, but then forcing each other to do it. I think that was where yeah. we fell over is right. that we said that, but then you'd kind of hang around cause you kind of went, Oh, this is, I, I feel guilty for it. Whereas it, I don't know the mechanism, but there needs to be something. It's like, yeah, you got to go away and you've got to not feel, yes, it's going to be shitty. Cause I got to deal with two kids here by myself, but you need to go do that. It's actually as important as being here and helping with the kids. And that's, yeah, but I can see that being a conundrum. So Candace, my partner now, and she's an absolute star and she's she's my rock and she is adamant. She never wants me to feel guilty about heading into the hills or doing my mm. thing. And there's a balance. There's always a balance. Don't yep. get me wrong. But she knows yep. when I need to go and she's supportive of me and, and she'll do whatever she needs to do to make the time for me to head off. And and I try to reciprocate um as yep. well but she's yeah it's a it's a real strength uh, in our relationship as well mm. um but yeah yeah i think i think perhaps maybe it's just because i don't hear about it but I, I you know it'd be interesting to see what kind of fathers support groups are out there because you know there is a lot of unspoken pressures my father when i remember growing up so i grew up in a family where there was a lot of stuff going on one of the things my father did he belonged to originally it was called the men well there's two different groups right i remember growing up there was the boys club and and think of the wording of the boys club they go out on the weekends hit the rantan the whole family though it was wives and partners but they were go around big barbecues heaps of drinking go climb up hill there was a it was um a boys club right yeah. later on after we got out of that and everyone developed he formed a men's group and the men's group, I was never involved with it, but every once a month it was his turn and there was a group of guys who would turn up and they'd sit in the lounge. They weren't drinking. They were probably going outside for a smoke, but they were talking. Sure. And I, I, there is a function, I think, that can happen a part of it. And, and we're getting back to the original purpose of these, these podcasts, right? Because I first experienced some of that in the nightclub. Well, not I rephrase that in the 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 DJing music scene. Whereas I always found the real helpful stuff and talking to other people happened about three or four o'clock in the morning in what you would call an after party or a chill room. Yeah. In this case, it was facilitated by certain drugs, to be blunt. Other people, it's alcohol, whatever it is. 
and music, common music, playing each other music, talking about stuff. And we solved the world's problems. And we had, you know, I've, I've, we had guys come in from all sorts of backgrounds who needed to decompress. There's a few guys I can think of specifically. There was one guy I remember collapsing in the backyard and he'd just come from a real, he'd come from a real dark place. And he just needed someone to hang with and play some music and not really judge. It was just like, yeah, you're there for the music. You want us to tell, if you want to tell us about the history, I'm, I'm intrigued, but you don't have to, I don't really care. Or we can talk about music and I can show you how to DJ and, and do that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, dad had a group where they did that, but they removed any of the, the social lubricants, basically the alcohol and the drugs and I, I think guys maybe are looking for a little bit of it when their group of hunters are in a in a hut at night and the bottle of bourbon and stuff comes out. But it takes a very brave group of guys to then put the bourbon away and go, actually, lads, can we talk about being a dad? Talk about whatever it is. And um, I I love having those conversations where you can quickly drop into it because if you're if you're vulnerable, you can do it. You know, I've, I've found the secret is you need to share something first of your story and then people reciprocate. That seems to be the quickest way I've found of getting into those com- that level of conversation quicker. But it takes that bit of vulnerability from yourself to go, I don't feel so good about this or anything else. What do you think? And then often people turn around and go, you know, dude, I'm feeling the same way or I've got this issue. What do you think of this? Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're out there. But I think also we have in the military hunting guys with guns there's a certain amount of bravado that's always kind of going with that as well and and um you know although i've been surprised by some of the guys i deal with who after hours we've had these conversations or the 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 trigonometry show or shooting things and afterwards you're like how you doing oh by the way i've been reading this parenting book or bits and pieces and you're like you're not the guy I thought would be giving me parenting advice, but that's really good advice. And he's like, yeah, I've had struggles and I needed to sort this and do everything. But, you know, so I don't know. It, it's, I, I think, yes, there's more of it that can happen. And the challenges is just going, yeah, okay. We don't want to necessarily get drunk and talk about the rugby. We've got this opportunity. How do we make the most of it? And I've, I've also then just reverted to drinking and talking about guns or other stuff. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's uh, sometimes, sometimes you don't need to go deep. You just want to keep yes. it light and relax. That's the other, that's the other thing. Sure. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's in and out. Um, yeah. So when you came back to New Zealand, were you, were you already hunting? Like, did you have a background in hunting or was that a new yeah, thing when yeah. you came back? Yeah. We had a family background in hunting. Okay. Okay. And- me how to hunt when I was younger. Um, I wouldn't say I was a very good hunter when I was younger, but I but I did love it. I loved marksmanship, I loved shooting, and I loved fly fishing. And um, so yeah, that was why I got back into it. And um <laughs> early on, uh, you know, I was still still quite weak. And I think one time my parents I got a phone call. There's this part of this hunt that I used to do. There's literally one bit of a ridge where you get reception, like it was a two, three-hour walk back to the truck. Right. There's just one little 50-meter spot where you get reception. And uh, as I was carrying this deer out, it was, I don't know, it was nine at night or whatever it was, and, um, you know, under head, uh, with, with a head torch on. And then as I get in the spot, the phone starts going. So I sort of put the deer down, look at the phone, and it's my parents. And they're like, where, where are you? And... Uh, 
I said where I was, you know, in the middle of nowhere on this ridge and I got this deer and I'll be back at the truck and then I'll be back home at one or two in the morning. And they were like, okay, uh, yeah, all right, well, yeah, take take care of yourself. Next thing you know, the next present they bought me was a, was a PLB <laughs> locator beacon and yeah. a stern talking to about the the proper practice of telling people where you were going to go, <laughs> which I, yeah, yeah you know, and I, I understood that, but uh, but it was just one of those cases of um, oh yeah, feel bad, grab pack, rifle, yep. jumping truck, gone, freedom, feel amazing, not really thinking about those other things at that time. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, yeah. That. so so yeah, it was uh, yeah. Well, it's use, an, the, use the safety, use the safety equipment. Use there. the safety equipment. Well, <laughs> we've had a good example recently of a guy going bush for basically a couple of weeks with his kids and not telling anybody. And and although in theory he was probably quite mm. fine and so were the kids, sure. um, you know, just letting a few people know what was going on would have gone a long way to stop people panicking. Because I guess that's the thing. Yes, we sometimes need to hit off by ourselves, but we've got to remember there's another, there's still an extended world and family and friends out there who are genuinely, and this is maybe the surprising bit for people, genuinely wondering how you are and what you're up to. So yes. just that that simple of I'm going away, I may be seven days, you know I'm fine, you know I'm capable of it, I've got the stuff I need, I'll check in when you get back and it's just enough for people to go yeah okay yeah he's he's just going feral for a while because he needs to yeah and that's fine yeah exactly no that's um, right that's right on saying that i got i got given a prb by my ex as well and that was the deal it's like you can go by yourself but you were taking this with you so at least we've got some level of you know risk management safety in there as well you know yeah yeah exactly so but yeah, yeah. Right. now we have the opposite end where you can get your spot systems and be sending text messages and probably selfies and stuff back and forth and <laughs> yeah it loses yeah. a bit of it sometimes if you're not it does careful. yeah no getting away from technology that's another one for sure yeah, yeah. to get away from the technology so yeah. did you when you came back i mean we did the idea of i'm going to get it i've got it written down when did the idea of ss double kind of form was it yep. was that form as you were coming back or was it later you're like this is good no it was later yeah. yeah, it was later. It was it was after I'd been hunting and fishing, okay. and I realized I realized that I got through a really rough patch in my life, and I didn't go see the psychiatrist. And I'm not knocking going and seeing counseling yeah. or psychiatrist. I'm not knocking it at all. But for me, I managed to get through that through um, you know my family, staying fit, and and hitting the outdoors. And that that was my medi- that was my meditation, my medication. Yep. That was my doctor. And so the idea for, for Sains, as, as we call it, was, was, was just share that. How do I share it? Because I know there's so many. And I've, I've been hunting with these other veterans. I got together with, you know, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Chris Morris and, and uh, Hookie Walker um, and John Harris. And, and we'd all been using the outdoors in the same way. These are the, Hookie and Chris are trustees of the charity and John's the operations manager. We'd all been using the outdoors in the same way. Yep. from different perspectives, but we'd all been using it as our crutch. And once we started talking about it, that's really where the nucleus came came from. Because um, I know there's, and I say it, I know there's a lot of veterans and their family out there that could benefit from it. Mm. But it's, And it's not even when you're, not even when you're struggling with anything. I, yeah. I honestly believe it's something that just you, people should build into their lives just of a normal, 
a normal month to month basis. They, they need to be outdoors doing something, yep. whatever it is. Um, and well, that realization was powerful. It was, it was powerful. It can be used as a prevent. This is the thing. And I think it's a good key point is it's not something. And, and I'm quite a, I think too much, right? I spend far too much time inside my head. So, you know, a couple of times over the last couple of years, I've been to a therapist because I like talking and, and ruminating and working through. And the last time I saw him, which was not that long ago, because once a year, I just check in. It's not necessarily when I'm down or anything, but it's just like, look, I'm just checking in. This is my my healthy check-in, like going to a doctor every couple of years just to check that there's nothing I need to be worried about. Because I think that is a lot better than at the other end of it when you're feeling down, then going, well, I need to go do that. Or now I need to go escape into the bush or have a break. Is It's preventative, you know? It's like, well, no, I'm keeping myself healthy and in the right state of mind. Um, I just listened to something, started listening to, I forget, again, I'm useless for names. It's a um, four-star general from the States. I think it was, again, Afghanistan. But he's talking about um, uh, risk management and and he's sort of like instead of it's sort of almost backwards and it, it will tie in but he's like instead of managing these external risks and going what can we do he's much bigger on this idea of building resilience so that we're just stronger and healthier and weller and more capable of these decisions and facing the challenges yeah before we get to the challenges rather than getting the challenge going now i'm going to deal with this like challenges are going to occur let's see what i can do in the meantime to get myself so i can kind of just keep on cruising through with that and yeah. Physical health is a real big one for that because, again, we're back to this fact that these hunks of meat carry us around. Yeah. Literally, and I, it sounds horrible, but you can literally see the more overweight, the more fatty deposits you have in your system and in your brain and everything, you simply are not going to think as clearly and as quickly as a healthy being does, you know? And the thoughts you have may still be inane, but you can just have, you'll just have, you'll be clearer and more focused on it. So, yep. When you talk about resilience as well, I remember we were talking about our kids and bringing up kids, and I, I think resilience, we were talking about wrapping them up in cotton wool and, and mm. the tendency of some parents to not let them climb that tree, not let them climb the ladder, freak out when they're doing something a little bit a little bit iffy. And, and I'm the same as you. I have to stop myself from doing it, and, and I'll, you know, at times I'll let him hurt himself yep. to a degree yeah, because yeah. – uh, the, the thing, you know, just normal life, if you just go for a normal life, you're going to have so many hard experiences. Life itself is quite tough. You know, just if you just live a just normal run-of-the-mill life, you're going to have some shocking things to overcome just on, in, the, in the space of a normal life. Mm. If you don't prepare yourself or your kids for those things, they're going to eat. Yeah. Life will eat those people up, and it does, you know. Well, and, I think that's where getting out as well. And I'm halfway through writing an article, literally it's building resilience in kids and it's, it's about and same for ad and adults, right. And going out bush for a while where you get a little bit cold, you get wet, you get tired, but you have to make that decision to still push. And because I still need to walk to get to the hut or the campsite or whatever it is. And yeah. it's a little bit shitty, but I need to do it anyway. So let's just go on and get it done. And there's a thing, uh, Stephen Ranella from Meat Eater it sort of has this, this, this almost philosophy that if it doesn't suck a little bit, he doesn't want to do it because he knows, and I think it's probably most guys would agree, that if you have an experience and one experience you have and it's pretty smooth sailing and everything's cool and everything's fine, 
that's cool. Good experience. But if you have the same experience and there's certain things along the way that are just a little bit of a challenge, you got cold, you got everything. You yeah. probably remember that challenging challenge more and it was of more value to you, you know, yeah. if, from a hunting, if you just go over and walk 200 meters from the truck, shoot an animal, you're done and you're back. It's like, cool, easy, good, fridge is full, awesome, successful hunt. Yeah. But if it was three days, there was a mish, you blew a couple of things, you shot it, then you had to haul it up out of the river and it was wet and cold and everything. It's a lot more fulfilling. And the difference Absolutely. is the difference is challenge, is being having a challenge in your life. And that then feeds back to relationship issues and everything. Cause you're like, well, I face challenges. I know what challenge I can deal with. I know as a person I can keep walking that little bit longer. I can deal with it. Yeah. It's not to say things will be pleasant. I don't, I think that's the misconception. It doesn't mean you get better at necessarily dealing it or you smile the whole way through internally. It can still be shitty, but yeah, it can give you just that knowledge. You can actually do it. Look, look at the train wreck of people that have won the lottery. Yeah. You know, the long list of people who have, have not used it as a positive thing in their lives because it, it's not, you know, certainly there's people that have used it in a positive manner, but there's also a long list of people that it's been a disaster that they won the lottery because there's no, there's no, um, they didn't earn that. Mm. Um, it's not that they don't deserve that or they don't deserve good things to happen, but because they didn't yeah. earn it, it ends up being a, a largely negative experience. And, you know, there's books written about it and studies done on it um, because if you didn't earn it, it doesn't have that value in your life. And, and, and yeah, it doesn't build that resilience as well, as you were saying. Mm. have you found for taking uh the veterans out on the hunting expeditions as well because i i listened to again um kaylin and phil modern day sniper they talk about their backcountry hunting stuff and they're like once they get into that mode they're back they're planning a mission they're planning nav they're planning supplies they're planning they're stalking i mean there's some very clear parallels there's also some very clear differences obviously because they don't generally shoot back obviously but do you also find guys kind of because it's what they know, it's skill sets they have, they get to reuse something they've been doing for years? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, the, the list of benefits as, as long as my arm. And there's that, as you say. There's also where we have fathers and sons go out together. The, the value they're getting from that experience is huge. There's the fact that, um, they get to plan their own adventures. And, and the, after the last course, I've got two guys that are literally planning their own adventures. And, and one guy came off a course earlier in the year and he went home and he grabbed his eldest son and he said, book this week off because you and me are heading down south. And he'd hunted with his son a little bit, but he knew he loved it, but he hadn't put the time into it. And he said, we're, yeah. we're going to go have a proper adventure. And they ended up traveling down south and having all sorts of experiences and went fishing and did all this. Mm-hmm. And, so there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to it, not just not just for veterans, you know. Um, uh, it, it's it it's so simple, Kerry. It, like it's such a simple idea, but it's so hard to do. It's, it's so many facets to it, and it's so it should be so easy to get people into yeah. it or for everyone to have that realization in their life. But everyone has to come to it at their own time. You know, you can't force it on people. They they have to sort of come to it in their own time and, and, and then they'll realize what, what they've been missing. But um, 
yeah it's as i say mate it's powerful it is so powerful i uh it's very difficult to describe it's, it's yeah. very difficult to describe accurately yeah well that's i guess that's that challenge for anybody who hasn't whether it's gone back country slept on the dirt off track where you're not on tracks you're not on huts you don't know where you know hunting to taking the life of an animal it's you know there are certain things that that yeah you're right you can't describe what it is we can kind of throw lots of words at it and kind of but until you experience it how do you and you know i took my brother out for one hunt once for his birthday and it was the same thing it was just it finished the hunt and i said congratulations you're on you're on the other side of the fence now i don't i had no expectations he'd ever do it again or wanted to and everything and he hasn't but at the same time it's like yeah understand got got that insight and other people want more of it but other people just it's like you know i think i don't know i have this thing like if you're gonna eat meat i think at least once in your life you need to be responsible for taking the life required to eat the meat i totally agree with you i i don't have totally the ability, agree with you. you know i don't have the i'd love to i don't have the ability to eat off what i hunt maybe one day love to so i'm still buying food in a styrofoam package but my little girls wouldn't if i didn't have if I hadn't intentionally done it, they would still think that meat came from a supermarket, as as a lot of kids probably do. You know, there just needs to be a link and a respect that this has come from an animal. What happened to the the animal died? There's yeah. no it, it died. We cut it up. We eat it. We take that life. It feeds and nourishes us, and it's a wonderful thing. Respect yeah. for the animal. We're we're happy. So yeah, I, I think there's there's that aspect of it as well. We, we have a, the first part of the hunting course, we have uh, lectures, as you will, lessons. So sit-down lessons before we get into the shooting part of okay. it. Yeah. Um, before we do the range work. And one of it is the ethics of, of taking animals, harvesting animals and utilising them, honouring the animal. Um, and we go around the group and get what they think about killing the animal because mm. more and more as hunters now, we are but having to justify Yep. doing something which we have traditionally done for, for thousands and thousands of years and now we're having to justify why so we are having to have these conversations to to um to understand uh, and verbalize what it is we love about hunting and why we feel it is right yeah um so we we start the course off with one of those uh, lessons as well and, and really go around the the group to so we can all understand where everyone's coming from and I think it's something that people who don't hunt struggle with, you know, the killing of the of the animal. But I think humans have a, a Disneyized view of what Mother Nature is. They they have this uh, what's the correct anthropomorph- anthropomorphization? Anthropomorphization. I butchered it, but it's something like that. Yeah, it's attributing attributing human factors, or it's giving animals names, giving animals yeah. the you know and there's some very smart animals, but there's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Before I dig too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. And, and so, so, you know, Mother Nature has a balance to her and the balance requires predatory behaviour. It requires yeah. hunters, especially in New Zealand when we don't have predators. Hunters play that role. So we have an important role within the ecosystem and mm. every ecosystem around the world has the same interplay. That is natural. That is nature. It is not what we believe and we want nature to be, which is which is the big Bambi with the big eyes and, and yep. they're talking to each other and doing this. And, you know, don't get me wrong, animals communicate with each other. They do. But 
but giving them human traits. And you're also incredibly brutal towards each other sometimes. They are so well. brutal. Yeah. They are so savage and brutal. And that's the way of it. That is yeah. Mother Nature. Um, but it's something that they don't want, the, the, the anti-hunters, they don't want to look at it like that. It's tough for yeah. them to look like that and... and, and um, and, and I always bracket it as I bracket it as well. There's also some abs- absolute munter hunters out there who just don't seem to have a sense of ethics and moral and shoot stuff sure. and don't care. That's yeah. they're out there and they give give the hunters who are trying to do it for right reasons or ethical reasons a bad name. But yeah. I don't even pretend that they're not there because that would also be in, incorrect, you know. Um, sure. But it's funny. I wrote an article a few years ago and I I talked to a few people about it and I got certain things signed off because I was aware it wasn't just my place to just put it out there, but I wrote an article on halal hunting Yep. because I had to course yes, I remember. courses and licenses guys coming in, Muslim young guys wanted to get in hunting, didn't know what the rules. And I, I would, it's a genuine sense of interest. What are the rules for you regarding hunting? Cause I know that there are some stipulations and the more research I did for it, um, the more I could see, you know, people people almost poo-poo this notion. Oh, they 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 say a prayer and face Mecca or anything like that. I just reframe it. It's like, yeah, they they stop for a moment, give some thanks for the life of it, and turn it into a little bit of of respect and ceremony. Um, and incident, most I've never found anyone where you're hunting you have a force to make the thing face Mecca anyway. That's a misunderstanding of there's a difference between hunting and domestic animals. Hunting is a separate thing. And then, then you look at it, oh, it's got to die by bleeding. You know, oh, you've, they've got to stay. It's like, yeah, they were they want a humane death. What they're basically saying is you can't eat Karen, you can't find something in a stream and eat that, and you can't bludgeon stuff to death. It needs to be a quick, humane kill. So while other aspects may be updated in our society, we've also lost some stuff. And that's why I like seeing people who have those little things whether it's a bit of grass or fern in the mouth and just a, a, a it can just i think we all do it anyway i think anyone who's got any sense of internal morals or something at some point just stops for that split second and says a thank you it's yes. just some cultures call it a prayer other cultures just would say it's a thank you other people say it's just a moment of reflection and gratitude for a life that's been taken and sustains ours so yeah, yeah we all we have our own ways. And the, the munter hunters you're talking about, though, I mean, I don't know your experiences, but I've found they're the massive minority. Um, you know, they are the exception, but you'll never get rid of them because in any subset of, of any community, there's always going to be the outliers. So yeah, um, as long as we do the best we can with the ones that are, uh, um, you know, receptive, then that's the best we can do. Education. Education. I, I think there's humanity and there's a there's a spectrum in everything we do. There's the I'm sure there's vegans out there who are pretty actually pretty cruel towards animals. You know, yes. by any definition, and other than very good. It's there's a spe- in anything. There's always a spectrum, and and we're just gonna be aware. But yeah, with it, it, it's normally the outliers. I think that's exactly it. But of course, unfortunately, it's the outliers that often end up on the news because it's the better news. <laughs> so. <laughs> absolutely mate car crash car crash yeah. to you your journalism at uh unfortunately yeah. it's a sign of the times so how have you found with the charity and the organization how have you found the support like in new zealand you know i was kind of 
debating skirting around this question and not uh, not sure you know but like do you get support uh, look okay I'll, I'll, I'll add another bit in here as well and it's just another thing because my my grandfather was the last surviving member of his rsa and they got to the i think him and another guy and they got to the point where it closed for them they closed the the area down and it was like well why is that he's like well there's two of us left we've all died it's getting a little bit you know for him it was a bit depressing because there was only two of them left and it was so it seemed to me one observation is that the the new guys coming through didn't really seem to feed into the RSA. It seemed to sort of just live for the World War One, World War Two, and the, the older veterans. There then seemed to be this big gap for new guys coming in because they didn't seem to be going to the RSA. Was that would that be apt from an outsider looking for, into it? For sure, no, absolutely right. And and uh, I work for the RSA at the moment, dealing with uh, veteran support. Yeah. And at the moment, the RSA is, uh, is a very, very old, you know, post Gallipoli. And it yeah. was their attempt to, uh, to support veterans at that time. But, you know, the RSA is going for a big transitional period at the moment because mm. they, uh, they lost their way. They lost the sight of what was important. And it was not the booze. It's not the bar. It's not the pokies, all of that stuff. The most important thing about the RSA is supporting veterans. Mm. It's Anzac Day. It's the poppy donations, the poppy trust. It's getting the funding out to the veterans and letting them know that they are eligible for support, you know? Yep. And so the RSA has supported SANES up to this date. They've been amazing, actually. Um, they're going for a transitional period for sure, but there's enough good people within the organization that hopefully we can, we can help them move into that next phase. Mm. Um, we've had support from... Uh, a company called Australian Defence Apparel that have a contract with the NZDF. Uh, their retail arm is Laguerre. Um, uh, Ranfurly Veterans Trust support us as well. Um, there's a, an old army friend of mine who runs a company called Grunt's Grog and they have a port, a number of ports that they sell and support us. And the hunting skills courses, we're only able to do that for as cheap as we make them. We're only able to do that because the station owners are letting us on for free. Yep. They're, not, they're not requiring anything from us. There's no way we could offer a weekend of hunting for $30 if we were paying. I mean, you've done a bit of guiding yeah. and I've done a bit of guiding and some of the stations, you're paying two to $300 to them to take the animal. Yep. So then you have to pass that on to the client and it becomes a, you know, a, a prohibitive experience. Mm. So, so the support is there. New Zealanders are supportive of the services. It's just a little bit under the surface. Yeah. I think if I was to compare the two islands, I'd actually say the South Island is more supportive of the military um, overtly. Um, and the North Island is as well, prob- probably just not not quite um, as obvious. It's not quite yeah. as obvious. Well, uh, you get back to this, this you know, which is it's another case maybe also of the urban versus rural divide a little bit, you know, mm. central Auckland. They probably don't have a lot of terms of reference for the the military, really. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm just trying to think. I mean, apart if I wasn't involved with the shooting side of it, no, oh, they have no connections with anyone who is ex or current military. You know, sure. to a certain extent, on the good side of things, it wouldn't have anything to do with the police either. You know, I mean, the the sure. again, nightclub industry is a different angle on that whole side of things, and it's not always good. It's not actually yeah. as bad as people think either, because it's just again that small group of munters that cause the issue for everyone. Sure. Um, 
you know, and I, I guess I've only had that insight because of my involvement with firearms, which is, uh, you know, it's been great dealing with and meeting more guys like yourself and next service and getting a glimpse into that world of that something I didn't have a lot to do with. Yeah. Um, and you just realize that, yeah, one, I don't know, I, I think we ask a lot of certain groups of people and then sometimes as a society fail to look after them or the repercussions out the other end, you know? Um, yeah. And as you're aware of, there's the mental side of it. There's the other, there's the physical side of it. You know, I had the thing of a lot of cops I'll walk up to and I'll go, how's your lower back feeling? Because as they've gone on to the, the plate carriers or the more gear and they're carrying it here rather than on their belts now, well, they're all developing lower back issues. Sure. And, yeah. and same as military. They seem to you take young guys out, break them through carrying copious amounts of gear and everything. It's all good. You're fit. You can, you can do it when you're there. But at the other end, as we get older, things creak a bit more. And um, yeah, there doesn't, there doesn't, from my perspective, you're right, always seem to be that acknowledgement and, and mainstream or side of it of, of what's actually happened, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it is good to hear. The guys I serve with and, and all the policemen I know and everyone else, they're genuinely good people. Like yeah. there's always outliers, there's maniacs. He took a thousand accountants and put them together. There's going to be a there's going to be a dozen maniacs, you know, and it's the same in the military or anything else. But in general, they're good people. Their heart is in the right place. And the thing is, it's easy to slag them off and and put them down until you need one. Yeah, you know, until you need one, until one does something good for you, and then you realize, you know, they are in general they're good people. Mm. And uh, yeah. You're saying about the, the South Island before. I think it may maybe small town New Zealand is is the best way to say it. Yeah. But in in down south, you go to any of these tiny little that the, you blink and you miss them. And there is a there is a war memorial in almost all of those little nothing places. Mm. And there's always a ridiculous amount of names on there compared to the population of the village that those guys would have come from. Yeah, and that. I think as a daily reminder to the people down south and in small towns of the sacrifice of these guys, you know, it's a, it's a whole generation of men that, um, yeah, to some extent women, um, a whole, uh, the lost generation, you know, they, yep. they really. Um, well, I remember, and we'll go, I'll, I'll make sure I do it regularly enough. I'm not, I'm not going to force it down their throats, but I'm going to make them aware of it is, is taking my girls up to the uh, war museum, Auckland war museum. And you can walk around the entire museum if you want and never go up to that top floor. And I reckon a lot of people don't ever. They just walk around them and see all that. But I always make walk up and that's, you know, I remember walking through the halls. I think they call it the Hall of Remembrance. I'm not really sure, but it's the hall with all the names. And, and my little girls saw the names and trying to explain to them what all those names were, you know, and it's, it's the people who, who didn't come back. And they're like, well, it's granddad's because they knew granddad's, so it was granddad's name. He's like, no, he... He came back, but he'll have his friends' names will be on there as well. And then we go around the corner. It's awesome because we can actually, I will be able to show the girls some of the stuff that was directly related to granddad with his battalion, with the stuff up there. So, yeah, it's, it's, and again, that doesn't necessarily mean, and I don't even think necessarily a lot of soldiers specifically condone war, meaning that they're not necessarily, it's not like they're gung-ho and wanting to go to war. But it's an understanding and a respect of sometimes things are required in the world and things are happened. And we can't then, we can't just, like you said, when it suits us, go, 
very good and then forget about them afterwards you know it's like you know, exactly. they, those people who were there were there and they come back and they were still there so that, yeah yeah and that you know it's the it's what's the it's the it's the handgun in your grandma's purse you know she hopes she never has to use it yeah we hope you don't have to deploy the military but this is a real world we live in these are realities of living in a modern real world where with situations develop very very quickly so um, we live in a bit of a bubble here in New Zealand, this, this perceived safe bubble, but it is a bubble. Yeah. It can burst at any time. Well, we, we, we sort of had it burst for us a couple of years ago where I think for a lot of people, myself included, you know, you're living not in a dream world, but you're like, yeah, we're isolated. We're so far. I've said it myself. We're so far away. How would these things happen? And then it did. And yeah. I think that was a shock to a lot of New Zealanders. Like, How did that ever happen in New Zealand? It's like we're we're just another place stuff happens you know exactly so yeah yeah so yes um so the um the last thing i was going to think just to maybe maybe just leave it on a little lighter note as as certain things as well it's been good man we've covered some stuff off um (laughs) we have gone deep we have gone we have we have i feel Um, like we should should, i feel like we should have a whiskey next time we do it and and, uh, (laughs) most mostly definitely Maybe maybe when COVID lets us, we can like go do it in a like a not a smoking bar anymore, but like a whiskey bar or something. I've often thought that'd be quite good. That's great. We're back to the fly on the wall. A couple of lads having a chat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so gaming, and I've always wondered this for you as an ex-military. Do you you sort of alluded to this, but are you drawn into war games, FPS, that sort of stuff as a not really i'm careful i'm not trying to paint you into it but like reliving or just re-experiencing some of the 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 military life looking for that excitement again or yeah yeah yeah, yeah there is an i was always 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 a gamer when i was a kid and yeah i think okay. our generation we were, yeah, we, yeah. were we were gamers eh? we, we yeah. sort of caught up with it so i was always drawn to it but games like the one we play now held it loose took me a good while to relax into it because it uh uh, they they basically nailed it. The the sights yeah. and everything okay. else. So yeah. I was very, probably the first month or so, I was very very on edge, and it wasn't it wasn't very pleasant at all. But it was almost like it was as a kind of an addiction. You know, familiar? yeah, familiar? yeah, familiar. Yeah. But it, it's almost become after playing it for a little while. It's almost become therapeutic for me. Mm. Um, I was able because I'm able to relax in the game more now. Yeah, it's kind of had a calming effect on me. Whereas initially, I mean, there's there's guys from the parachute regiment now who I'd love to get on there, but there is no way. Um, you talked about yeah. Kajaku, the movie. Yeah. So, I've, my friend Stu, I would love to get online, but there's no in his situation what he went through in the minefield. Yeah. There's just no. I would love to, but there's no way I would put him through that or a lot well, of other guys. So, I, I, yeah, in similar, I have an old. We'll call him a friend because he's one of those guys I haven't spoken to for years. But again, certain late enough late nights that there was a certain bond formed. And I said to him a few times, if you ever want to go out for a shoot, I'll take you out um, to shoot some rifle or shoot some pistol. And it's the same thing. He's sort of always said, yes, it's never quite happened. I'll never push it because I'm not quite sure if he actually wants to have a gun in his, an actual gun and shoot an actual gun in his hands again. But then on the flip side, I have also heard of other guys, because this is, it's part of your psyche, right? So, and other guys I know have found it therapeutic because it's something that they're comfortable with, something they know, something that they trained and were good with. So it's something familiar. 
Um, but then refocusing that into refocusing that skill set into a computer game or into hunting, it gives the guys a familiarity. Communications, we're on. They're on radios again, which they got drilled into, so they can communicate in a way that would sound weird to certain civilian groups. Where they're just like, well, these guys, what are they playing soldiers? It's like, well, yeah, they are, because they are. That's what they 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 spend a big part of their time. And I, I found it playing armor with Shaktak. A lot of those guys, a big percentage, were were ex US military, and they'd come out had lost that comradeship and that sense of purpose so playing on once a week and in the squads again and talking to groups and stuff it just was like it was familiar enough with the less less permanent repercussions you know you get to respawn i suppose is a big big thing so yeah yeah big difference i've I've found it i've found it i have found it therapeutic i have i don't think it would suit all veterans for sure not games like that that is a that's an immersive game yeah, um, the snapping of the the shots past your ears—that is, uh, I've absolutely nailed it. I'll mm. just I'll tell you, I've absolutely nailed it. Yeah. So um, it was turbulent at first, but I enjoy meeting up with you guys, and I enjoy the banter and the social aspect of it as well. And and uh, we, we have gaming. I think you know, for the gamers out there, balance. Yeah. Balance. You, you go game, but go to the gym. Game, yeah. but get outdoors. Game. Yeah. But go diving or skiing or climb some mountains. Balance. If you have the balance, gaming is a very positive thing, I believe. Yeah. You get too immersed in it and then it takes over. You know, if, for the guys in lockdown and COVID, that's different. Do, Slightly different world at the moment. Game, yeah, game do, do whatever you need to do to get yourself through the lockdown. I'm not going to judge you. But <laughs> uh, once you're out, you, then you got to go. You got to get the balance. Okay? I think that's a good point, and I think that's going to be an interesting one as we come out of the lockdown and that well, we are coming out of lockdown or into the new world and everything. That guys remember, it's like yeah, now it is time to get back out and to to get out. And it's something I've been aware of recently is um, setting an alarm. You know, because I'm in Auckland, right? So we're still in level three, whatever. For who knows? So it's getting back into setting an alarm clock, getting up in the morning doing those stretches, doing the mindfulness routine, which I used to do when I was working because I had to before I got to work. So I had to get up early rather than sliding into, ah, it doesn't, what do I have to get up for? I don't have to go work. Might as well sleep in. I might as well, you know, whatever it is. So I'm finding it beneficial to still put that routine into life. Um, One in preparation for when it suddenly comes back and you have to be back because otherwise it's going to be a shell shock. Um, And also, again, it's just good for you. I think it's, I think that's the thing I've, I've found. Ironically, I found that setting an alarm clock and getting up at seven o'clock ends up in more restful sleep than not having the alarm clock and kind of waking up at seven anyway, lying in bed for another half hour going, I know I should get up and not. Ironically, that alarm clock and forcing yourself up just seems to set you off a little bit better in the mornings. So Routine. Yeah, routine. You have to have a routine, especially in lockdown. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you, you've got to... <laughs> Because you haven't got the other things that the you need to find a way to fill those uh, hours. If you haven't, if you aren't working from home as some people are, um, you're in a smaller space. You yeah. Need to do, you know, you need to stay on. If you can do a little bit of fitness, whatever that looks like, then you've got to do it. And it's hard. It is tough. Oh, it is. It is. But it's the same thing for me. Little walks of a backpack, a little bit more weight in that backpack each time. It doesn't have to be. I've I've learned before. 
like I'd get to that point. I'm like, oh, Kerry, you're such a loser. You need to go out. So you go put 30, 40 kgs in a ruck and go try rucking the hills, kill yourself, hurt yourself yeah. for a couple of days. And then you really feel bad about it because now you're like, oh my God, you used to always be able to do this. And you've forgotten yeah. that was 15 years ago and, and a certain base level of health that doesn't, isn't there at yeah. the time. So yeah, all good. Anything we missed for this one, David? We can always revisit. I'm more than more than happy to have continue these chats. Um, I don't, I, okay, so for guys wanting to find out more about what you're doing through the charity stuff like that, where do they go? So uh, they log on out? to www.ssaanz.co.nz and you can log on there. As I say, if you're a veteran and you want to be a member, you, you want to just go on the events, you know, you, you're just trucking along life, everything's fine, but you miss the banter, you miss the comradeship, the society, just become a financial member because that helps us out. We can't do it without financial mm. members. If you're struggling with anything, if, if, you're, if you're missing something in your life, if you're struggling with mental health, um, financial problems, anything like that, if life's getting you down, get in touch with us because we will pay for you to come on the event. It'll be cost-free, you travel, Transport everything. We'll, we'll, you don't have to be a member for that. That's a support function that we have. Yeah. Um, and it's just yeah. And platforms like this. Thank you, Kerry, for allowing us to get the message out there because we're still small. We're just starting out, but we have a powerful message, and we have been going three years now, being very successful at what we do and getting better and better each year. Um, and we are on the cusp of going quite large and. If it can become a template for something for other countries to copy around the world, I mean that would just be amazing. Because um, we have got it, we have got a good message. And remember, the message is not just for veterans; it's for everybody. It's it's a common thing all humans have around the world. You need the outdoors. You, you need you need those aspects in your life. It's a pretty good mission to be on, David. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, mate. Thank you, buddy. Cheers. Thanks, Gary. Cheers.